0: Action Park Media.
1: Welcome to Dominic's Den. Today's guest is one of the greatest comedians of all time. And it's not just me saying it. This guy is in everyone's top 10 list. He's been doing stand-up for 30 years. He got six comedy specials, most of them on Netflix. He's been on hit shows like The Chappelle Show, Breaking Bad, and uh, Mandalorian. And he recently delivered what I think is his greatest performance of his career in The King of Staten Island, but he does have other stuff coming out, so I might have to eat those words. He once said, deny your emotions and act like you have answers. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend Bill Burr. What's up, buddy? Hey, you know what's
0: funny? When you said he's got six stand-up specials, when you said most of them are on Netflix, <laughs> I thought you were going to say most of them are funny.
1: They're <laughs> all funny, There's man. A couple
0: of stinkers in there. Um, It's
1: nice to be here on Dominic's Den over here. Thank you, pal. Um, You want to let everybody... Uh, how do we... We, well, we, we both met on uh, the King of Staten Island. Yes, we did. Uh, during that rehearsal process. Uh, we, I
0: immediately found out you smoked cigars, and then that was it. It was a whirlwind and that was romance. It, man. Straight to the nearest cigar bar, right? We went, went up to that, uh, that Davidoff one up, on, uh, up near Rockefeller Center. That's you right. Me and uh, John uh, Sorrentino, an actual fighter fighter who has lung damage. From nine eleven, being down there, and he he went into the cigar bar, couldn't smoke, but uh, he hung like a champ. And then that was yeah, he was a trooper. Yeah, we formed the bond, and uh, you know. Then we
1: rode. Then one time we, um, I think me and you, we got in my car and we we, we had to go to the other the other rehearsal. Yeah, we shot in Staten Island and then rode up to do the 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 fake fire. Yeah, 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 in Yonkers.
0: Dumb as this beautiful car. And I go, hey, Dom, we got these cigars. I'm like, should we wait till we get there? You know, I don't want to, I don't want to smoke in your, your nice car here. And you look at me, you're like, that car, I'll, I'll burn that fucking thing down. We're smoking in
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, dude, that I, was I one mean of it. of the
0: great rides I've ever taken, just as far as like, it was a beautiful, It was a little hot. If I remember during the rehearsal for the fire, it was a little hot. But we weren't wearing all that gear. So
1: we were just cruising up in your car. I felt like I'd skip school. When we went there, it was only for a rehearsal that day, wasn't it? Yeah. And I was dreading
0: that shoot going like, you know, tomorrow. Oh, my God. It was brutal. It's going to be the hottest day of the summer. You guys had it bad. They kind of shot me out of that scene. But you... Yeah, but you were still
1: there for 12 hours.
0: I know, but you were sort of in the whole thing. So you could, my my favorite, one of my favorite little actory things in the movie was when you get out of the truck and your character takes the gum and sticks it to the helmet. (laughs) You know, like that's his his little good luck thing that he does, his little superstition thing. I loved it.
1: I needed something to do. I said, this guy, you know, I'm like, okay, this might be the only time I have the camera on me. Because, we, you know, we're, we're going against time. We're in this location, I think, just for a day. I said, well, I, I, got, I got to do something. I And I went to Sorrentino and I go, you know, do, do firemen, are they like baseball players? Do they have like these superstitions, some with the socks, some with the caps, you know? And he's like, yeah, you know, um, I don't know, do something, you know, do something with the gum. And I was like, okay. That's and it? I, that had, yeah, that's it. And I went, I put it on and they kept it.
0: It so. looked great. I thought it legitimized all of us because it, it made it look like we knew what we were doing. Obviously, they were smart enough to put a bunch of real firefighters in there to kind of water
1: down what I was doing. It was a great, great crew, uh, great cast. I mean, we had a lot of fun. The movie experience meant a lot for me because of what I was going through at that the particular time. So it was very therapeutic for me i needed to be in that movie i needed to be surrounded by guys like you and and pete and mike and 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 everybody else and uh so i could go to work and not say anything and i really didn't give a fuck i'll be honest right. with you uh there were days where i just needed to be there yeah and uh, and i mean and here we are i mean i talked to bill on the regular uh he came over we Broke bread. I met his family. Um, and if that's what I get out of the movie, then then it's well worth it for me.
0: Yeah, and I go over his house, and he had just finished digging his own swimming pool. Dude, you were like, you are like Bob Vila meets Goodfellas. This guy like does everything, and then you got like this Martha Stewart level garden in your backyard. He grows everything. Fluent brilliant. Like Italian. This drum? I'm going to keep going. Yeah. And one day he came down with a bag of uh, vegetables for me. And was from your garden and yeah. you grew yeah. them and all of that. So I made sure I ate every last one of them. You had, I ne- I've never had celery straight from the garden. First of all, when it's all organic, you can't be, believe how small it is. You know what I mean? Because all, yeah. that, all that crap at the supermarket, it's just like, I mean, I eat an apple now, I get full. But if you just take one off a tree, it's like three bites, it's almost gone. So yeah. they they uh I just remember the carrots and the celery being like, oh, this is what size they're supposed to be. And they just, it was delicious. I was just making garden salads with half the stuff you gave me just because I didn't want to ruin it by cooking it or something. I just wanted to taste it in its its, its original raw form. It's amazing.
1: You know, that was towards the tail end of us shooting. And I really wish you would have stuck around longer, you know, because I would have just kept giving you stuff because... That's kind of like a tradition with the Lombardosis. My father would always do a garden uh-huh. a crazy garden like, you know and and half the shit he gave away. so if people came over, it's you got you got a jar of sauce, a bottle of wine that he made. oh my God and he'll get a shopping bag and he'll go cut tomato, celery. Um, string beans, whatever whatever was good enough to give somebody that was a ready harvest, and it was like they went to the freaking A and P. Yeah,
0: a little better and, than the A and
1: P. And I, and you know, that summer I had lost my dad, and I said I have to continue this. It's a lot of work. It's hard. I miss doing it with him. He was my right hand man, and he taught you how uh, to do it, huh? Told me everything. Was he
0: literally going, Dom? Look at this. Or you just followed him around and learned, or both?
1: I I I must have been your daughter's age when I were, when I went was around my dad. I just I, I I've always been around him, and you know my my uncle uh, when my dad passed. He said, you know you know what's you know what's you know what I noticed. He goes towards like the last few years my dad was around. He go he goes when you were small. You used to hand your dad, because we, you know, we would grow in the greenhouse and then you know transplant them and put them in the garden and whatnot. And he and he goes, you know, you used to hand everything to your dad and then your dad would put it in the ground and it's kind of like an assembly line. And he goes, the last year, he goes, I noticed your dad was the one throwing you everything and you were the one on your knee and you were the one digging the hole. Wow. And uh, yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to continue it as long as I I'm around and
0: I think one of the worst things that people ever did was come to this country and want to be American so bad that they they didn't teach their kids their native language wherever they were from, Italian, French or whatever, and uh and then didn't continue that whole like just everybody got so busy And and working for corporations and stuff and not like, you know, like growing your own food and learning like a language from part of your, you know, we're all mixed up now, but part of your background is, uh, I I think that's an amazing thing that for, I'm hoping it's going to come back. I've been doing that, that Pimsleur French, I do those lessons like every day in my, rather than listening to the radio now, I just do that so I can, I can read it pretty good now, Um, as long as it isn't like really like, you know, I can't read like the front page of a newspaper, but like, uh, if it's, you know, sort of like a fifth grade, sixth grade sort of reading level French, I got, I can get a lot of it now. I'm kind of psyched. So, cause I want, what I want to do is I want to go over there and I want to do a show in France and speak like perfect French and make fun of them, <laughs> just trash them. I've only been over there a couple of times, but the second I start fe- speaking French, they switch over to English. Like, I'm not listening to this bullshit. And it's just like, well, wait a minute, man. I got to listen to your English. Your English isn't good either, right? Go to Z bank. You know, I'm, I'm not rolling yeah. my So if you're going to torture me with your English, I'm torturing you with my French. And then it just became like this funny thing. I would have full-on conversations with a French person. They spoke English the whole t- time. And I was just m- like muddling my way through French. Refused to give up. <laughs>
1: Actually, I think they would appreciate it because I think French people, when when you don't go there and you don't attempt to do or try to speak their language, that's where they actually kind of, you know, give you that side look. It's
0: really just Paris. You get outside of Paris, everybody's cool. And the the food is ridiculous. All along the Mediterranean, every place Uh, I've been, which has only been France and Italy, it's just, oh, and uh, uh, Tel Aviv. So I've been, you know, sort of. All of there, and it was just all of the food is just amazing, and everybody along the Mediterranean seems to know how to live. Other than the bullshit that's going on in Israel, which when you get there, you're like, "What is the problem? This pl- this place is gorgeous. The women are gorgeous. What's going on here? It's just Hatfields and McCoys over there.
1: It's that it's that mentality. Um, you know, some people, you know, they're they're content with the one car, you know, their house, and their kids kids being healthy and comfortable, and You know, having three cars, three a summer house, uh, a cabin. (laughs) That's not, you know, that's not important. Whenever I see those,
0: uh, all of those things, a lot of it like in hip hop, all of that money never sleeps. uh, uh, What is that? Wake up and grind or whatever the hell it is. It's just like, that all just sounds like a horrible way to live, like to just be going 24-7, 365 that whole fucking thing where I'm just like, but what's funny is, is I ended up kind of doing that for a long time. And I didn't even realize I was doing it. And like with the pandemic slowing everything down and I had free time, like I didn't know, and I still kind of don't know how to relax. I got to try to learn. That's why I like, I like Italians, Greeks and that type of shit. You guys seem to know how to like, you got that perfect combination of like, dude, you work your ass off, but when you put your feet up,
1: forget about it. It it's funny it's funny you say that because at the dinner table at the dinner table my dad would just be all over me. Why you know you eat too fast, you get up, you leave the table. My dad could sit at the dinner table for 3 freaking hours.
0: He's probably going, "I worked I I grew those damn vegetables for 3 months, I don't like seeing you eat them in 90 seconds."
1: It's it's just a different appreciation. Yeah, you know it, it. It you know people have different definitions of what they consider success, and how do you get there? Yeah, and just you know, wake up and grind, and it's because rise and grind. You know, I believe is what rising grind, whatever it is. It, it's um, I don't know. I don't. I don't, I I'm not sure if I subscribe to that. I got well, you. Kind ha- of okay. you have to to a point, but then you can, you can just sort
0: of keep doing it. Like I definitely have uh, some people I know in this business that have got to this unbelievable level and they are still working as hard as they did when they were an open micer. And there is, you know, I don't want to say nothing, but it's kind of like, you know, like dude, look at that pool, man. Yeah. Have have you ever been in it? (laughs) You ever put your feet up, man? Like, what is the point? Um, But I don't know. We all come from different backgrounds and shit. And I just think with uh, some people that, there's a, there's a, um, I don't know It's like I, cause I came from like, I would say mid m- middle class. So, you know, we didn't have a bunch of stuff. It was like the seventies, you know, I, whatever my brother was wearing, I would be eyeballing it cause I knew in two years I was going to get it, whatever it was right kind of how came it was near. back then. But if we were comfortable. We always ate and stuff, but I found like my friends straight across the board, if they were really like poor or something like that, when they like, they're afraid to stop working, I think. <laughs> just yeah, like I, I've been broke I don't want to be broke again like you can't make enough
1: yeah I, I, I know a lot of people like that too they're like I'm never going back to that and um, you, you know it's it, that I respect everybody's hustle um, yep. but uh, I, I think you have to do everything in moderation and um, there needs there needs to be a balance you gotta have that balance I, I built that freaking pool that pool that you were swimming in, that your beautiful daughter was in, I built that, and I'm gonna go in it. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna spend time. I'm, I'm, I, you know, and and every. Everything... I'm gonna
0: return that back home, and then I'm I'm gonna get yeah, in that thing. I'm gonna take it. my boots off, and eventually, I'm gonna get in it. Do you ever go in it just to go in it, or do you only do it when you have company?
1: I do. Oh, no, cool. I go in it, especially you know because this past year there, there's no work, right. pretty much haven't worked all year, and whatever I was doing around the house, if I was in the garden all day, or doing landscaping, or building something, I would make it a point just at the end of the day to go in there. Yeah. You know, or... You, you know, it's funny, that, that movie,
0: uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that scene towards the end when Leo is, is like, in his pool, or whatever, and he's got the margarita mix that he's drinking, or whatever, like, there is... Uh, There's a big part of me. If I didn't have kids, I would be doing that. Like like, having kids was the best thing for me because I swear to God, I I don't know what happened, but uh, I used to kind of be able to just fucking have a few. But now like I just look at that being like, yeah, I I would, you know, there's a part of me, there's another road where I just drink myself to death, sitting on one of those fucking lounge chairs and drinking (laughs) (laughs) smoking a cigar and just being like, all right, I can fast forward through this shit and just do the fun stuff and then
1: die. Yeah. Yeah. I think I can get it done in a year, you know? <laughs> it's a, it's hard for you now, man. You got the two two kids. Oh, yeah, and
0: they just, like, they just... Uh... Yeah, the second this thing's done, I got uh My daughter's off school this week, so there's another dad. We're going up to a park, and they got the balance bikes. Remember, we used to have the training wheels, right? Right. Which I learned. I think all our dads put them on wrong. Because they put them flush with the ground, so you weren't learning anything. <laughs> they were supposed
1: to be a little higher up. That's yeah. why, off that first push, you still fell on your face. Yeah, you still fell. Yeah, on yeah here you go. You're ready. You're ready. Next thing you know, you got you. You, you scrape your chin. But the balance
0: but. bike is. I, I. I. was sitting there going, "What kind of new school bullshit is this?" It. It
1: makes so much more sense. So how how how's life been without the uh, stand up, man? Um, it got scary about four
0: weeks ago. At first, I was just like, oh, man, pandemic. Exactly what I need, man. I am so sick of going to LAX. I cannot connect through Dallas one more fucking time. Every time I connect in that airport and I got to go to another terminal, it's always the terminal right before and the subway goes this way. Every single fucking Uh. time. Every time. So then I always get that shit. There's a shit barbecue place. In the American Airlines Terminal, when you go down, it's just airport barbecue. No offense to the people who work there. It just sucks. And for yeah. whatever reason, I always get it. Let me get the pulled pork
1: I've never been to, I know I never it's going to suck. That, I've been to Atlanta. But it's but a tradition. Yeah, so
0: this is the longest answer ever to this question. So I kind of liked it in the beginning. And uh, then I got a little, I don't know. I started doing some dates in the summer because I had to do uh, a buddy of mine had some gigs in Ohio and I had to get ready for that. I did a little tour in September, a little one in December, and then I just shut it down for the holidays. And the end of January, I got to a point mentally where I wasn't even thinking about standup anymore. And I wasn't right. thinking about jokes. And I was like, what the, f- what is this? This is scary. So I also, you know, the COVID numbers were through the roof and I'm, you know, I don't want to get that shit. So I was laying low. So this month I kind of started back up again. And, uh, I have some ideas for some things that I can do, you know, uh, in the meantime, I did a show last, I mean, I, I worked Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday this week. I did two warm up dates out in Venice Saturday. I did a benefit and, uh, Sunday I just did a show just to do the show. And I had a great time, had a double mask, walking up, taking the thing off. So when you have a double mask on, you're doing this show. Uh, I take it off for of the show, but I just make sure that I, I, I'm, you know, at least...
1: What about the uh, audience? Are, are they separated?
0: Yeah, they're sort of. It's like, you know, young people don't die from this shit, and they don't give a fuck. So I'm rooting for the doctor. So it's like, you know, it's a joke I've been doing my act. It's like, I get it. I get it. You know, the your college tuition is through the roof, and then you get a degree. It's not worth anything. The only way for you to move up is to breathe on some old people. I get it. You know, so... <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you ain't, you ain't breathing on me, buddy.
1: You you're not getting my corner office. You're not getting oh, my corner my office. So, I have a question on social media from uh, Todd Van Hoffman. Do you think COVID is underachieving? Do I think it is underachieving? Uh, yes, I do. Because of
0: how many mouth-breathing morons are still walking around alive not wearing masks. I was kind of psyched when people were ignoring doctors at the beginning. I was like, oh, good, this is going to kill stupid people. You know, not, not, the, not the first couple of waves as we were figuring it out, because they were saying this will be over by May of last year. It was by the fall when people were still acting like idiots. Um, I was kind of thinking like, all right, it's going to take out these dumb people. But what really happened was these dumb young people took out people's grandparents and Fathers and stuff, so it it it, it quickly uh, you know was just sad again. So
1: what angered me? The ignorance, you know uh, that that you know if you go back, go back to May June of last year, right? Or uh, the ignorance of just simply putting a freaking mask on. It it was the it, it became a debate, and it became like difficult.
0: I just hate where yeah. it. uh, it's just like. You got a flat screen TV and you control the environment in your fucking house. Oh. And some, you, you would, the person who made, what's funny is, you know, all that those master made sweatshop labor, some guy making like 30 cents a month, you know what I mean? And, and, and then sends it here. and It's just like, Oh my God, <laughs> I keep forgetting. I keep hanging it up on my flat screen TV in my bathroom and I keep forgetting to fucking walk. It's just like, even if you have a studio apartment, if you have central air and heat, you are living better than 85% of the people on the fucking planet. So if you can't put a mask on, that's your biggest hardship. But, you know, if that's what people want to do, let them do it. What the fuck are you going to do? I'm just rooting for the doctors. I'm due to get the vac- vaccine. Uh, 50 and older's next month. I don't know how to get an appointment, but uh, I think I'm just going to show up to Dodger Stadium, show them my driver's license and be like, I'm over 50.
1: Are you are you worried life. about any of the uh side effects?
0: No, I don't give a shit. I've had a great life. You know. You're not going I mean, home, yeah, right? I don't I mean, I listen, this is the deal. I'm into conspiracy and shit, but if they're going to give everybody this shit, okay, they can't go out and kill people here because like then 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 the super the Illuminati would need to dig their own ditches. Right? right. They need us. To be around to plow the streets, to fix the electricity and all, all the shit you know how to do. They don't need me to be a dancing clown. So I think uh and I also think because they, they start they started it out in in like England, Great Britain, that was like a, a big boost for me in believing yeah. in it. You know what I mean? That they started because the world is racist. So if they started with white people, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, the white people that made it know that it works. But if they started in like Haiti or like in South Africa or something and it was white people who made it, I would be like, I'm not taking that shit because they are once again going to use people with more pigment uh, as as lab rats. Which is what they've done in the past. So any of my black oh, yeah. friends that Without say doubt, not I taking put it, anything past them. Yeah, any of my black friends that say I'm not taking it, I get it. I mean, the the fucking yeah. army gave them like syphilis and shit, and, and and didn't tell them they were doing it, and just to watch it. So we don't exactly have the greatest track record.
1: <laughs> I'll be honest with you, Bill. To inject and I'll shit, be honest. With people. I won't. I won't get on anybody's case, whether they want to take the vaccine or they don't want to take the vaccine. No matter who they are, right. I could understand why they would be afraid of it. I mean, it, it it is something that's fairly new. Came out quick, yeah. I know there is. It came out quick, so I I get it. You know, um, for instance, like a person like me, I, I I get the flu shot. I get really sick. I, I got get, a flu shot. I didn't I didn't get sick at all. I, I I every time I've taken the flu shot, I've been in bed for seven eight days. So. Oh, they're literally giving you the flu. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it just might be the way my body responds to Are you to getting
0: the antidote or, or the vaccine, it? or are they just, they're just uh-huh. giving you the flu?
1: My doctor must not like me because uh, every time I, I... And I got to the point where I'm like, I'm, I'm not taking this. I'm I know it's funny because you kind of get take, the flu I'm anyway. going to load up on the D3, and and that that's it, and that's what I've been doing. But, you know, with this whole COVID vaccine, I... You know, because of my situation at home, um, I, I think I might just have to bite the bullet and take it. But I could understand that concern from some people.
0: What I found is the first shot you find, the second shot, if you're going to get sick, you get sick. I've had about half a dozen friends of mine get it. Um, and yeah, me too.
1: They, they they're all, yeah, I'm they're fine. all fine. My brother. They're all fun. Yeah. I'm going to do it. My brother was fine. You I'm going to do yeah. it,
0: man. Fuck it.
1: I think we all need to do it.
0: And then point, if I get some really you know? bad side effect, I'm going in the pool with my margarita mix and that's it. Whatever. Either way, I win.
1: <laughs> Bill, well, what was the, the moment you knew you wanted to be in show business? you remember that that moment?
0: Um,
1: I mean, obviously comedy. But well, I
0: always – I mean, who didn't want to be in a movie? Who didn't want to be a comedian or, or an athlete
1: or anything like that?
0: But when it actually seemed like it was something – that I could possibly do um, was when I was working in a warehouse in like 1989 and I was working with the dude who want, who also wanted to be, I, I secretly wanted to be a comedian, but it just didn't seem possible because, you know, there was no like internet the way it is now, you know? I think Al Gore had already invented it, if I've listened to his speeches correctly. Um, but there wasn't any like, you know, it was for just like nerds. So... Show business just seemed like a million miles away, and I had no idea that I was living in Massachusetts, where the greatest stand-up comedy scene was. I was just like, because I was a little kid when all of that stuff was developing, and and you know, so yeah, I was just working with the guy, and he was just you know, he used to we used to watch stand-up specials, and he'd come in and talk to me, go like, dude, we're funnier than these guys are, and he said one of these nights, he goes, I'm just going to take a shot at Jack Daniels and go on stage. And then all of a sudden, it just was standing next to me. It wasn't on TV and feeling like a million miles away. And I was just like, all right, well, if he can try it, I'm going to try it. And, you know, it took me like another two and a half years to get through college and get the, you know, I've always been like really baby step timid person when I was younger. So it took me forever. I was almost 24 when I started. I did everything late, dude. Started everything was late. Stayed back in the first grade. Just from the jump, from the jump, I was just first girlfriend late, graduated high school late, graduated college late, started this fucking business late. Well, you're like me. You went bald early. I didn't, though. <laughs> I didn't, though. I had I had a great no. of hair until about mid-30s. I mean, bald early to me is those guys like, it's like, and here's your high school diploma. And then a wind blows and then they just, <laughs> but you know who that's going to be. That's your classmate who has, like, the hairy chest and back in the eighth grade. Like, you mistake him <laughs> yeah. for the gym teacher. It's like, oh, shit, that you're my classmate? You look like you're yeah. fucking part Wolverine. We had a
1: few of those. Rocco.
0: Yeah, they're these little men. Everybody had they, a Rocco. A, a better beard than the teacher. And, and they're, like, a foot taller than you. And then two years later, you're, like, a foot taller than them. And they look like uh, Super Mario. They got a big, big, burly yeah. mustache. <laughs> and then they get a high school diploma. And then the shit just goes. I was good till about 3132 and then uh I walked into a bodega and I saw myself on a security cam and I was just like what the fuck is that cuz it was back here you don't see it. Oh dude, I was devastated. I was like,
1: "Oh no. What am I gonna do?" I know, I know the feeling, man. I I know. Me me it started in the front. Oh, that's better. If it starts in the front, I feel. No way. No way. Well, it's better with the hair plugs
0: if, if you're doing this back here because if they suck, you got all these, these real people standing in front of the phonies. <laughs> it is hilarious that they still can't cure it. It's such bullshit. And that takes me back to this vaccine where it's just like, you know, you're going to have to get it every year. Oh, am I pharmaceutical companies, you okay, fucking yeah, cunts? Yeah. Of course I am. Yeah. When are you going to turn it up to cure polio? When are you going to do that? They always they dial it down. Their thing is to keep you alive. Just keep you alive. They're giving you a sip. They're giving you a sip of the cure. I mean, I don't know about you, man. I want the line, right? Fucking line it up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. I want to feel my heart going. Yeah. <laughs> what was your worst bomb ever? There isn't one. That's it's a, it's a whole collection. Ken Burns could do a whole documentary on my worst bombs ever. It's just, it's just, all right, there, there's, because there's all different levels to bombing. Bombing, but you don't give a shit. Bombing, and you don't know how to control it. You, you, there's no saliva in your mouth for a week afterwards, and you ha- wake up with cold sweats. So, like, early on, bombing was, it was horrific. Yeah. It was like, you, you didn't, it'll be like, if you were flying in a plane, and the pilot passed out, and then just gave you the controls, and you you had no... that's what bombing is like in the beginning you don't know why you lost them you don't know when you lost them you don't know how to get them back and you just keep talking and then you start going faster and you look more and more nervous and it just gets it's actually when you bomb early in your career a lot of times it's worse for the people watching than it is for you because it's just it's like I mean it's like seeing a toddler stick their head in a wood chipper and you're just sitting
1: there going get away from that get away from
0: that no (laughs)
1: <laughs> I, I i mean i'll be repeating myself but uh, what you do uh, and, and and all comedians just go up there and and think of some new material that you haven't tested on anybody or or anything like that and 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 i i i, I don't know how you do that well, you know, it's,
0: you just, you don't do that the first time. Well, I mean, you you got your first shit that you're memorizing. It's just baby steps. It's just like crawling, then walking, then running, and then jumping over shit. But it's just, it's like, uh, I mean, some of the most uh, scariest shit I've had to do is acting because I wasn't comfortable in the acting world. And then all of a sudden, it's like, you have to do a lot of really silly shit, A lot of silly shit. You got to sing songs. You got to dance. You got to kiss someone on camera. And, like, there's no learning how to do that. It's just like, all right, what are we doing? Okay. We're doing this. Okay.
1: You were so focused, though, when I was working with you and we had scenes together. And uh, you were right on it, man. You were there.
0: Well, because I always have a paranoia that I'm going to get fired. And then I also hate how long it takes. So my whole thing is is every day I know something's going to slow it down, but it's not going to be me. I'm going to come here. I'm going to know my fucking lines. I'm going to get here on time. I get to set early. I'm ready to go. Whatever you need, because I want to have fun. I want everybody else to have fun, and then I want to get the fuck out of there.
1: Well, it's like that old saying, you know, they pay, they, they pay you to wait. You act for free. Yeah. You know, so um, hosting SNL. That's one of the things on my bucket list, uh, and I, I, I and when I saw that you were doing it, I, I even called you that that day. And uh, what was that experience like for you?
0: Oh, absolutely terrifying!
1: Oh, always a big SNL fan.
0: Oh yeah, growing up. Oh, yeah, everybody was. I mean, yeah, I mean, grew up and just and everybody on it were gone. I mean, I started with like the Eddie Murphy Joe Piscopo era is when I first started seeing it. And then um and then of course the, I, I feel the second classic lineup, the Dana Carvey, Dennis Miller, John Lovitz, um Myers. Yeah, yeah. All of those yeah. guys were um huge to me, you know. But I'm not mean I'm, I'm not naming any of the women, but it was just like as far as me like idolizing something, you know, I was looking at the guys being like relating like oh they they make people laugh i want to be able to do that so it was a huge um i remember a while ago i think when i was doing seth myers his thing is like right down the hall from All snl right. and my publicist walked me through and i the, the the snl set and i deliberately stood on that stage where you did the monologue and i took it in for a second because i wanted to like get just a little bit comfortable you know and then a couple of years later I ended up getting it, and um, I had a full-on meltdown the day before I was going in. My wife talked me off the ledge. I was like, this is too big. I don't want to do this. Fucking Jim Carrey and Alec Baldwin are doing this shit. Like, this is, I I don't want to be, I don't want to be, I don't want to be at this level. I just want to do my fucking shows. I'm in a fucking party. Like, I flipped out. I don't want to do this shit. So she talked me down, and then I just thought, like, you know what? I'm not doing this to my wife all week. There's no reason for me to be nervous until 1145 Saturday night. Everything we do this week is not, no one's going to see it. So just go there and have fun. So, and then I started talking shit in my head and like, a and, and like being Catholic, I have an inversion to people who talk shit, but I never, but it's because of the fucking Catholic guilt, but I never understood. There's also a way, it's also a self-help thing. It's a way to shout down negativity in your head. so, during the week when I was running my monologue at like five in the afternoon in front of like five people during COVID and just eating my balls and just figuring it out, I, comics were saying, you're going you're gonna to kill, man. You, I'm telling you, man, you're going to kill on SNL. And I just kept saying, I am. I know it. I know, dude. I'm yep. going to fucking destroy. I, and it just you felt did. good to say it. And then uh, by the time Saturday came along, I don't know. I just had so much fun all week. I actually almost tried to make myself nervous before I went out there because that was my comfort zone, and I was just like, "Ah, right, I guess I'm not nervous. Fuck it." And then I went out there.
1: Same here. And, and keeps you on point. Keeps yeah. you on point, Bill.
0: The monologue didn't do so well in the in the in the run through, and then Lauren gave me great advice, though. So. He gave me killer advice. He kind of saved the thing. He was just like, "You know, people don't know who you are. They know you as a comedian. They don't know you. There's a whole pe- bunch of people watching the show don't know who you are. So just say." Hello, I'm I'm happy to be here. I've always wanted to, and that's what I did. I came out, hey, how's it going? I'm happy to be here, because I was. Yeah, But I was just trying to run to the first joke, but and that got them settled in. He's psyched to be here. And then I swear to God, dude, I, 30 seconds later, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to kill. Like, I knew it. I was like, this is just going great. And then I got off, and you run under the bleachers, and they're tearing your clothes off and putting some other shit and, you know, gluing a fucking wig on my head. And I was like, I think that went good. Did that go good? Yeah, it went good. All right, get out there.
1: Is that where the pressure is? Is it is is it the monologue, or is it also the sketches? Or did you think you had that you had that in the bag, like the sketches? Uh, it-
0: I didn't think I had anything in the bag. I was just like, I'm just gonna go out and have a great time. I'm gonna say what I want to say in the monologue, within reason. You know what I mean? I couldn't say rape. I had to say non consensual.
1: Who came up with the uh, the gangster uh, skit?
0: Oh, I forget,
1: man. They, they, oh, we we read so
0: many sketches, and there were so many fucking hilarious... Everybody on there was...
1: But they just pitch him, right? They just... You yeah, sit there and, and you get to do this big yeah.
0: table read, and you get to see other people. You know, it's Kate McKinnon and everybody doing their thing, and it was just... There's so uh, many just, like, brilliant, brilliant people on that show, and... It's like a pool of talent. Yeah, and I just felt like I'm going to be okay because they know what they're doing. They do this all yeah. the time. So... I'm gonna be surrounded like they're gonna be holding me up. You know what I mean? Like at the like one of the first sketches I did uh was with uh Ego and in and, and Keenan Keenan's been there forever. So, you know, we were having a great time and he was really great to me all week. Next sketch I was with Kate McKinnon. So I mean, right, you know, she she has enough talent to do the whole thing herself. So I just I just knew I was just like, all right, now I'm now I just get to have fun. It's all the way, you get the monologue done and then you just have fun. And totally commit, and uh, and then just let the cast. The cast will get you through it. Just don't be a right. dick, and just be like, "Hey, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. You guys are amazing. Help me," and they do.
1: Right. So, how did it feel to sell out Madison Square Garden?
0: The first time I did it, I was you know I was really anxious. I just need to get on stage. I just need to get on stage. And then the second time I did it, I came down for the sound check. And I actually have video of it. And I just got on stage and I just broke into this big smile. And I was just like, you know what? I go, sometimes, you know, you know, you know what I mean? Sometimes you just know, like, I'm just going to fuck it. Like, I'm going to fucking smash it tonight. And I just knew. And I went out there and I actually recorded it and I have it on a double vinyl um, that I'm going to be at some point selling, I just don't know how to do it because it's so fucking expensive to try and ship it out. And I'm trying to keep costs down. So I'm kind of holding on. Cause I don't want you know, you know, it's COVID and people are hurting right now. So I don't want to come out with some super fucking expensive thing. So I can make them. you know, so I think I'm going to start taking them out. Um, you know, when, when we start doing live gigs again, I'm going to bring like a couple boxes out. You should see it, dude. It's like a double album. And I made it, made it look like the seventies. And you open it up and it's the whole crowd with that little stage with me on it. Dude, it is absolutely, it's one of the most proudest things that I have. And, and there's, there's a full other 20 minutes on it that's different from Paper Tiger. And a lot of the jokes got different because I, I taped Paper Tiger in March. I recorded at Madison Square Garden in November. That's one, two, three, four months later. And, um, you know, uh, I'm just excited for people to listen to it. It's, it's, it's really for, it's only on vinyl. It's really for just like super like comedy nerds and people that like my shit. And I made sure that it's like just top quality, but like, I don't want to sell it online just cause it's, it's going to cost me too much money to ship it. And then I, I got to pass it on to them. I don't, I don't feel like doing that during All this right, shit. I can't
1: wait till that comes out because I'm going to put it up right here.
0: Oh, I'll, I'll send you one. I'll send you one.
1: When you, when you do uh Madison square garden, does, does your your how you prepare for that does that change your timing being that you know you have to hit everything and and the response from the crowd does it as opposed to
0: yeah, you know it it's if the stage is at one side of the arena right there's gonna be that, but if you do it in the round, which is the way to do it, you gotta sell way more tickets, but I opened for Dane one time at Madison Square Garden, and it was in the round. And I was like, dude, what the fuck? And he goes, dude, he goes, it's just it's four theaters stuck together. So then I looked at that. And it's also like you're cutting you're cutting the ring off rather than being all the way down there and trying to connect with that dude way there. You get 50 percent closer to everybody. I don't know how many. I'm not good at math, but there's way more front row seats this way in front sections. It kind of works out for everybody. And what I try to do is, I just try to not think anything when I go out there, and to just start going off and being silly and getting myself like out of like, fuck. This is Madison Square Garden. I'm recording tonight. I have to make sure I do all of this. That is the that is the recipe for it sucking. You got to go up there and just be like, I'm recording tonight. And guess what? I don't give a fuck. Fuck. And I'm. Yeah. Just, that's that's where you want to be. That's where you want to be, and then everything. Everything becomes light.
1: You make and, it look and, easy, man. And, and I know there's a lot of prep in there, and I know there's a lot of work in there, and uh, that just uh, that's just a testament to how great you are, man. Because when when I when I watch, I
0: don't want to pat myself on the back, but, no, but I write yeah, a really pat, good I'll, shit I'll it, it, joke. I write <laughs> a really good shit joke, Dom. Really good shit joke. The, the, the vegetables that you could grow if you put my act in your soil. <laughs> Off the cuff, uh,
1: what's going on with uh, F is for Family? We're in the final season. Um, we had a great
0: run with Netflix, and um, they've just been so like ridiculously supportive throughout the whole thing. So you know, it's a little uh, bittersweet. And then we lost a couple of a uh, couple of writers passed away and, uh this last month. Uh, David Richardson uh-huh. and Mark Wilmore, who were. The older guys in the room, more like big brothers to me. You know, I'm 52. They were like 64. And I think Mark was like only like 57 or 58. But like they were like big brothers to me in that room. And it was funny because then everybody else in the room, they're like kids. You know, they're like sort of in like their 30s. Uh, Oh, Valerie Vaughn's another one. She's like a sister. You know what I mean? So like like when we talk about the 70s and shit, like we were kind of there and we remember it. And then the younger people... Like they have this whole new way of looking at comedy. So it really infused this, it was it just, it was the perfect mix. We had just enough people in the room, Mike Price and everybody who been through the seventies and just enough people who were born in the seventies or after the seventies, bringing something fresh to it. So, um, I really do. You, know, you remember the was,
1: tail end of the seventies, right? Like the No, I
0: remember end. from like 1970 three or 74 on I mean I was born in 68 so the light comes on when you're like three or four so like I was like five in 1973 six you know by then I remember I was like riding a bike and shit so I mean throwing shit in people's pools and doing dumb shit that you did in the suburbs lighting fires two years of first grade 74 and 75 76 I was in second grade third grade 78 fourth grade No, like, yeah,
1: by by 79,
0: 1979, 80, I was in fifth grade, fifth grade, dude, I was almost in junior high, I I should have been in junior high, so I remember the 70s, so I always felt like a lot of these shows got the 70s wrong, where they made it about the AMC Pacer, lava lamps, big collars, and, and bell bottoms, now that shit was going on, but that was like for the cool people at Studio 54, and people in downtown Boston going to the clubs, Um, in L.A. and Miami and shit. But, like, in the suburbs of Boston, it was just like... The 70s was really a gritty, rust-belt sort of looking thing. Um, And that's what we tried to capture in... Like, that's what we... As we pitched it, we go, this is not going to be like that 70s show, 70s. This is going to be more like the Serpico 70s where you got these rusted-out, like, lead sleds and shit, you know, with rock salt on the side of them. Um, And then also... Like I was really big on the getting the cars right because I've noticed that when like they do period pieces, everybody has a brand new car from that era. And, you know, this most people are driving around in a car four, five, ten years old. Like right. if you look at Stanford and Son, which took place in the seventies when it started, yeah. bum, 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 bum. Yeah. that's like a nineteen fifty Ford pickup. It now is. it looks like a classic, but for them, they're running a junkyard. They had some piece of shit twenty year old truck. So that's why like Frank drives like he drives like a 65 Ford Galaxy, which is one of my favorite cars, Wimbledon white with the black top. And um, so it's supposed to be like 74. So he's driving a car like eight years old. He's a working class guy. He's got three kids. Just had another kid, surprise kid. So like he doesn't have money to buy a new car. And then also parents didn't give a shit. You know, they'd hit something. They wouldn't get it fixed. fixed. Yeah. It wasn't you know, who had the money. Well, yeah, and then your neighbor didn't have a camera where they could take a picture of it, put it on the internet, and then shame you. So, so you go out and fix the thing. You could really just kind of be yourself. So, um, what are you watching? Uh, what are you watching now? Well, okay, I got to do a little promo here. Uh, All things comedy, along with uh, Comedy Central, helped uh, produce a documentary about the late, great Patrice O'Neill, the greatest comic I ever saw, uh, called Killing is Easy. Um, It's absolutely crushing. We're number one on iTunes right now. And the reason why, aside from the subject, and all the people involved and everybody who told their stories, all the comics, Vaughn, Patrice's girlfriend, everybody, it was because of uh, Mike Bonfiglio. Just uh, He did the 30 for 30 on uh, Doc and Daryl. Right. Uh, Doc Wooden and uh,
1: Daryl Strawberry. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So the thing was, we got the right guy to do it. So I've gotten a lot of tweets going, dude, man, you crushed it on the doc. It's like, dude, Mike Bonfiglio did. Okay. And then all the comics that told their stories did. All I did, like, as a producer was, like, Mike would be like, hey, I'm trying to get in touch with this guy. Do you have his number? Do you know somebody who has his number? So I just sort of steered people towards him because I knew he knew what he was doing. Right. So um, it is an absolutely I'm so proud of it because I talked to him early on. I just said, listen, man, it's just like this documentary. We have to try to make it as great as he was, which is unattainable. But we have to try. And I I really think that Mike did it. And um, the numbers that it's doing is proof of that. So I'm I'm, I was
1: psyched to be a very small part of it. Well, you also uh, do some fundraising for uh, Patrice. Yep, I
0: do a benefit. I didn't do one this past year, but yeah. uh, Yeah, Uh, me and uh, Maureen Taron, who uh, works for Two Tree. used to work for uh, New York Entertainment with Barry Katz back in the day. And she knew me and Patrice and Dane and Robert Kelly and all of us when we first came down to New York. She's known us forever. Um, She's the one that really puts that thing together every year. Um, Yeah, I like doing benefits, man. He's a sweet guy,
1: uh, Patrice. I work with him. Oh you did on what he played uh, on on this um Tom Fontana show uh called Trial by jury mm-hmm. and I was one of the jurors and and Patrice was the, the uh, I guess uh the uh, the bailiff you know the bailiff there who would uh-huh. you know the security um, through the acting and, work and the, that guy would have got because uh, he, he was but he was a sweet he was he was just a sweet guy man you know and he
0: you know what he came close on getting he came this close to getting Michael Clark Duncan rest his soul he he was green up Mime. for that role in green mile yeah he was up for that and at the last second i remember him telling me he goes yeah i'm kind of uh, up for some big shit on this tom hanks thing and um i mean he got so close i mean i i he, he never said it worry, but I, I know i know that, th- that 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 was like a big like letdown and he um he let stuff get to him because he was a really sensitive person. As much as he was like all oh, that bravado and all of that, like like I found with all the greats that I've seen, musicians, actors, and and like uh comedians, they are sensitive. They they uh you know a little self-sabotage, self-deprecating, they you know, hard on themselves. And um uh, I always tell the story, but Patrice always said you know Bill if I had the confidence of a hack I would be worth a billion dollars right now because we used to sit there you know me and all Norton everybody we sit around just got yeah. on my ass stinks I'm not fucking saying anything I just been just plateauing man I suck and then somebody who just absolutely stinks would come in oh man I crushed it I just been I fucking leveled stand <laughs> up in new york tonight fucking leveled and just walking around shiny shirt just glasses just just feeling themselves. And I remember just thinking, going like, it was funny to me, but there was an envy to
1: that, going like, I want to feel that good about myself <laughs> at some point. What, 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 is there a comedian out there that, that that makes you laugh? Oh, yeah. No, there's, there's uh,
0: I mean, there's the usual suspects. And then I'd say like uh, Brian Holtzman, just for some people that more people should know about. That like really make me laugh. Um, actually, I gotta write them down, man, because a lot of them are like. There's like five or six of these kids coming up who just really, really make me laugh. But like, because I've sort of discovered them during the pandemic, I keep forgetting right. their names. I just have like them click. But there's there's guys like I've kind of broke a little bit. Um, like Joe List, Mark Norman, Joe List, Mark Norman. That that whole uh crew, Sam Morell. Um, you know, there's and then there's a couple people that I, I've I've started to bring out that have been like opening for me out here in LA. Um, that that uh, like Aisha Alpha, like people like that. I can just see they have like that thing. They got that thing. They got to figure out what it is they want to say up there, but they have that thing where you're like, I'm, you know, you just walk by and seem like I'm gonna watch this person. Like, there's no reason rhyme or reason for it. They just sort of have that. They just got you that. Look
1: at Verzi, you know, the work that he put in. He, he was with you for a while. And, and, and now look at him, man. What he's accomplished is is incredible.
0: But you don't get to see how good he is until you see him headline. Because uh because I didn't even I didn't even know how good he had gotten, because he was just opening for me, doing like 15, 20 minutes for a couple of years before he blew up off his special. And um I remember one night I was working with him down at Gotham. And someone was coming down to see me and they were late. So he was on stage and they had him stretch. And then I saw him just like in the moment, make the adjustment, continue on, messing with people in the crowd. And it was just like, holy shit, he's there. This guy and like, you know, a bunch of people saw him. Like that was a big, like in, in New York, like they, it's exciting to see that. And I remember those sets where it was just like, people view you differently before you went on stage and then after. And that was one of those sets for him. And I was psyched because he's, you know, one of my best friends in the world. And just to be able to see him Beautiful have guy. that set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Beautiful really... Um,
1: I love Paul. Yeah. Paul knows uh, how to
0: live. Sicilian does. and Greek.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, Karen, uh, he's not that far away from us. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know. he's, he's been here. Um, and we had a great time. Um so there's a, there's a part of the uh, the podcast that's called Dom's hot seat. So I'm just going to throw some questions at you. Okay, What's your cool. biggest pet peeve?
0: I mean that changes every five minutes. Uh, <laughs> okay, right now uh, there's a bunch of pet peeves. People who pass on the right on the highway. People who ride in the middle of the fucking street because they're dressed like fucking uh, you know in the Tour de France, and then they yell at you to share the road, you know, and then they blow through that. stop signs and don't stop at fucking red lights. People who jog in the street, people who jog in the street with their back to the fucking traffic. It's like become a thing during the pandemic. It's like you realize we're all texting while driving. Like, how all young are you? you feel you're, you're, you're that invincible. Uh, All valid, Bill.
1: All valid. People,
0: when you're trying to make a right, and if they would just push their car up just a fucking little bit, if they could just get out of their own fucking world for two seconds. Like my my biggest thing for me today. Oh, you got me going. I fucking was stopped at a red light. I see this guy trying to make a left. You know what I did? I brought my fucking car within a coat of paint of the guy's bumper, and two guys got to go. It's painted forward. That kept them in a good mood. They thought, oh, what a good shit. What a good shit! And then they went. Now, now, no in L.A. They got on the highway and then drove ninety in the furthest right fucking lane.
1: Yeah, you know what? You know what gets me is since we're talking about driving, when you let somebody go and they don't acknowledge that you let them go, like hi. They, that's not done out here at all. Well, me, yeah. me, me and Karen—that's that, that's one of our biggest ones, man. Fucking hate it. Like, you yeah. get no, like gratitude back. You yeah. Know? Kevin James,
0: I think it was Kevin James, just do a great bit about that. I I need the wave. You got to give me the wave. (laughs) You know, and then something about like just pulling up next to them just to see what they look like.
1: (laughs) I've I've done, uh, I've done a lot of uh, stupid things while driving a car. So, if you could be a character from a movie or TV show for a day, who would it be? And you're like me, You're, you're a throwback. You like, you watch a lot. Some of the old yeah. stuff.
0: Oh, so. wow. Character from a movie for a day. Um. When I miss drinking, I would love to be Bill Murray in Lost in Translation. Just out there getting hammered, <laughs> doing commercials for all kinds of money. Yeah. Becoming a role model for some beautiful young woman working her way up. <laughs> <laughs> Eating sushi every night, Dom.
1: The good huh? life. The good life.
0: Faking mushrooms, buying a samurai sword, slicing <laughs> yeah. the curtains. Curtainless in my penthouse
1: in Tokyo. If you if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, how old are you and what's that piece of advice? Oh, fourteen, and say hello.
0: That's it. You don't have to go do all these amazing things for people to like you. Just walk up to her and say hello and see what happens. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Bob, Bob Hoffman on Instagram, so we, we, we put it out and we, you know we told people you're coming on, we do it with every guest and you know if we, if we have time, we'll, we'll put it in uh, we'll share some of their questions. Uh, so Bob Hoffman wants to know. Wow, two Hoffmans. You yeah. realize that? Yeah. The Instagram. What does the name Bill Buckner mean to you? <laughs> I couldn't even say that with a freaking straight face. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. That's... Uh,
0: I think people who aren't fans of the Red Sox forget that we've won four World Series, two in the Incredible. last two decades. So it's now when I watch it, it it actually makes me um, nostalgic and I think about where I was and what Boston was like then and how I liked the simplicity of that gray uniform where it was just written in that dark blue Boston. Um,
1: I, lo- I love watching those old games.
0: And then I also, I rem- I wish people were nicer to him afterwards because I remember I went to Red Sox Appreciation Day after we blew the World Series and he got the biggest ovation because well, the kinds of people that would come there and say, Hey man, you almost got there. We appreciate it. I can't believe they made those athletes go through that as they were sitting there still nursing a fucking broken heart over that. I remember one time a few years later, they asked Roger Clemens, What's the most amazing thing you've ever seen in sports? And he was like, Us blowing game six. Like it was still bugging him. I mean that that like like was so fucked up, it didn't even hurt until like eighty eight. And it happened in October 86. 86. I really look back yeah. And, I was just, yeah, and it really wasn't about Buckner. It was it was fucking Bob Stanley. Bob Stanley gets off the hook, man. He came in with his fucking dad bod. Just He was just
1: He was the he's worst. Like the, he's like the Yankee Bob Boney. Uh, that that guy. Dude, he was
0: in such terrible shape. Yeah. Terrible shape. He, he looked like he just took some guy from the bleachers who bought a uniform and brought him in there. He had like a wild picture. There was like a pass ball, but like um, for all you, you know, all those people out there that for some reason still want Red Sox fans to be miserable. It's just like, that's just like, I mean, it's like almost 40 years ago. So it's, it doesn't, I mean, if we hadn't won since then, because my thing was Bucky Dent didn't bother me because I, I didn't quite follow them enough when that happened, but right. I did watch enough of the collapse and I was delivering the newspaper, so I remember that. But '86, I was 18 when that happened, so Big. that was my that was my baptism as a New York fan or whatever. And I think what ended the curse of the Bambino was when Pedro Martinez grabbed Don Zimmer by his head. <laughs> Yeah, throw it down to the ground. (laughs) Rest his soul, Don Zimmer. I know. Brooklyn Dodger, manager of the Red Sox. I'm kidding, of course.
1: I got a trivia question here for you because you're a big sports guy. So, and this this question comes from a mutual friend. I'll let you know who it is afterwards. Uh, Name the football player who tackled Bo Jackson on the play that ended his football.
0: Oh, shit. That's from John Sorrentino. God damn it. Oh, because we kept saying that that was great trivia. Yeah. And he, the second you, I said
1: it, he remembered it, and he's hit me with this ten times. I don't remember. Yeah. He's he's like a guru fireman, but like a hippie fire. I could just imagine that. I'm gonna have him no, on. No, he wasn't. He I'm was like John
0: Travolta, Saturday yeah. Night Fever, with the hair slicked back. He was a he was a ladies' man. Yeah. You could see it.
1: I'm gonna well, have I him on. What was
0: the guy's name? Do you have the answer? Kevin Walker
1: Kevin of the Walker. Bengals. Yeah. So, that's t- how I used
0: to try to remember it. Kenny
1: Skywalker played for the uh the Knicks. So Kevin Walker, yeah. Uh uh You want to tell us about the guilty that's uh that's in post production right now? I mean it's yeah, a I don't crazy know how much cast. I can
0: say about it other than it's a uh it's a remake of this Dutch movie that I saw that was amazing. And um Yeah, I don't I don't know what I can say it. Uh, you know, nowadays they get all fucked freaked okay. out. But yeah, it's uh, an amazing
1: it. cast and I was uh Killin' Hall Hawk, Dano, guard yep. Yeah. It's uh yeah. I, I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to that movie.
0: Yeah, that's gonna be uh I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that might be an intense movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's an intense lineup. Any yep. uh more Mandalorian? Um, not that I know I mean I think they just big did- Mandalorian fan here
0: oh that's awesome that uh john Fabro, rick fami t- totally changed my life the stuff that they did there and then all the great people i got to meet on that gina brendan um i don't know i can always space on everybody's friggin fr- i mean i just worked with so many awesome people when i was on that thing and uh but the reality is you know john oversees it and and rick fami wrote and directed the episode so i'm basically just saying what they wrote <laughs> yeah. unfortunately they wrote me some killer stuff man
1: well whether you're on stage or in front of the screen you're always killing it man i i can't thank you enough for coming on this podcast and blessing this cop pass
0: no worries I love it. you have. I just feel like I was going to get whacked and I said the right thing. Yeah, you know, I just want to thank you for uh, well, you, you get clearing pass. up this little
1: incident. And uh, There's no need for a sit down, Bill. No need. Thank you, Don, Don, Dom. Can you imagine if you were in the mob, you'd be Don, Dom. I vouch for you and uh, everything's good. Hey, man, you know I'm really
0: okay. The in my hand will tell you the same. Come